We welcome you to the Truth Simply Put, our broadcast and teaching series at the Basilea Commission. You're about to receive God's unadulterated word, brought to you by Pastor Alexander Victor. Challenging, uplifting, and provoking you to new dimensions in your kingdom walk. And now, today's message. We want to take off from looking at what grace is, on what the word grace caris means. It's actually spelled charis, but it's pronounced caris, C-H-A-R-I-S. Some people spell it phonetically, so K-A-R-I-S. They spell it how it is pronounced. Caris is also correct, but it's spelled charis. Um, in the Greek, it means kindness, gift, blessing, favor, as brought to man by Jesus Christ alone. Remember I told you that, that scripture that says, now when the kindness of our Lord, Savior, Jesus Christ appeared. Titus 3, kindness there is the same word, grace, same word, caris. In fact, in other, in certain translations, you know, like when he says, I think it's like, um, 2 Corinthians 2.14, I believe. It says, now thanks be to God. That thanks there is the word charis. So it doesn't go down, gratitude be to God. That's not what he's saying. Thanks be to God, acknowledging the grace of God, which always causes us to triumph. Now, it, it gets even more interesting because in the Old Testament, the word grace was used. Most times they had to find it. But there was grace. The word used for grace in the Old Testament in Hebrew is the word chanan. So like charis, yeah? Chanan, C-H-A-N-A-N. And that's the word used for grace in the, in the Old Testament. And it, it means the same thing. You know how soteria meant the same thing as yasha yesterday? Yeah, in the Greek and in the Hebrew. Yeah, so Chanan means the same thing pretty much. To be gracious, merciful, compassionate, favorable, and inclined towards. To be gracious, merciful, compassionate, favorable, and inclined towards. You got it? And we saw from Caris that it is favor and kindness as only the Lord Jesus can supply, right? So grace is the Lord Jesus. We saw that yesterday, right? That therefore suggests that every time those Old Testament guys found grace, what they got was a glimpse of Christ. Does that make sense? And that's why their narrative is a faith narrative. Is it coming together for anybody? Each time it's documented that Abraham found grace, Noah found grace, Moses found grace, right? Because he said, if I have found grace in your sight, he was asking, and then God now replied and says, you have found grace in my sight. Each time they found grace, Chanan, what what they saw was a glimpse of Christ. And that explains why they couldn't settle. They kept looking for that city. Just build down found this. And that explains why Moses will cover his face and be like, oh, I will not be around when this full glory comes. Because he got a glimpse of Christ. 
unlike how it used to be preached that the guy had so much glory. Eh? Hey, if you see glory, I had to cover his face. Moses covered his face in anguish and heaviness of heart. He said, what is this? So Israel is feeling like, wow, his face is shining. And he was looking at path. And he was like, man, see the glory that path is going to come into. And me, I'm going to go first before that glory comes. He covered his glory. Small glory like this. Small glory, which was fading away. So each time they found grace, they saw a glimpse of Christ as was yet to come. Let's look at John 1, 14 to 17. And the word, you know we said grace is Christ. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us and we beheld his glory. The glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. John bore witness of him and cried out, saying, This is he of whom I said, He who comes after me is preferred before me, for he was before me. Do you understand the weight of that statement? I'm here. After me, somebody is coming. But the person that is coming after me has been before me. So the person that is going to come now, the person that is about to manifest now is older than me. I was born before him. But he's older than me. He's been before me. He was before me. Keep going, 16. And of his fullness, we have all received. And grace for grace. 17. For the law was given through Moses, but grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. For the law was given through Moses, but... So that already quashes the argument that grace came to enable you keep the law because of the but in the statement. Does that make sense? The but flips the coin, changes the narrative. Grace, the law came through Moses, but grace and truth. So there are two parallel lines. Law of Moses, grace and truth of Jesus. Grace did not come to merge with the law. It did not come to make the law easier to keep because nobody can keep it. It's interesting how the major proponents of the law are the worst breakers of the same law. Have you read the law you are trying to keep? Why was the law so bad? Why was the law so draconian? Because it was not meant for you to keep. It was meant for you to look at it and go, nah, I can't do this. I won't do this. Give me better. And then better comes. Remember, we show, I showed you in Hebrews how Christ is our better. You look at it and you're like, no, no, God, give me something else. So you're trying to keep a law that David knew by head, by heart. David knew all of God's precepts and broke them all. You, you don't know it. 
And you are trying to keep it. There was nothing David did. David never went and said, I know not what I did. Even when he took Bathsheba and all that stuff came and the prophet came to him and said, let me tell you a story, O king. A man had plenty animals, livestock. He's doing good. And then he had a visitor. Remember that story? And his neighbor had only one small baby goat. And when this man had a guest, this rich man went and took the one goat of his neighbor, the one lamb, kid, of his neighbor, to attend to his guest. What do you think should be done to that man? David was like, God forbid. All abomination in my kingdom. That person will be made to pay back sevenfold, he said. And will still punish him on top. Because David knew the law of restitution. According to the law of Moses. You pay back sevenfold. Nathan says to him, Thou, O king, art that man. What did David do? Did he try to restitute? He lay on the floor. Wore sackcloth and ashes and began to cry and beg for mercy. And through that stupid act of his, Jesus came. So if you check it in physical genealogy, Jesus is of an illegitimate lineage. That's why it doesn't matter how you were born. What matters is that you were born. You don't go for a job interview and they ask you, are you when you were born, were your parents married? Were they together? Had the bride price of your mother been paid by the time you were born? How many of you have ever gone for a meeting, a job interview or, or admission? They ask you, please state the circumstances of your birth. Doesn't matter. But if you were drawing physical lineage, then Jesus came through that same mistake. The child died, she gave birth to another one, Solomon. And from Solomon, lineage picked up. He knew the law, he didn't keep it. He always fell on grace. Because it's either law or grace. There's no, there's no merging point. Right? It's either law or grace. And that's why to keep the law is to fall from grace. That's what Paul said. You who are trying to keep the law, you have fallen from grace. You have abdicated grace to keep the law. Now, if grace was helping you to keep the law, why will Paul say in trying to keep the law, you fell from grace? He should have actually commended you for trying to use grace to keep the law. That's supposed to be A plus. And also, but it says you tried, you, you tasted grace. You're now trying to keep the law. You fell on grace. 
So grace does not hold you like a harness. Yeah? So that as you are trying to keep the law, the law will not drown you. Because that's the way people have painted it. Like, the, like grace is one kind of harness to help you keep the law. So that as you are trying to keep the law, God will not kill you. You know, grace just is the pad that you used to keep the law. No. If you are trying to keep the law, you have fallen from grace. Because grace is Jesus Christ. The law came through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. Do we get that? Now see John 14, 6 in the light of that. Jesus said to him, I am the way, I am the truth, and I am the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. So, because you know we can confuse it when we say grace and truth came through Jesus. You might find it difficult to understand that he came through him, as him, from him. Does that make sense? So grace is Christ. Truth is. He didn't say, I have the truth. Do you see that? He didn't say, I came with truth. He said, I am the truth. Truth is a person and he's talking to you right now. That's what he said. Grace is a person. Life is a person. He is life. So when he gives life, he gives him. When he gives him, he gives life. When he gives grace, he gives him. When he gives him, he gives grace. When he says truth, he says him. When he says him, he says truth. Truth is him. In John 17, 17, Jesus is praying to the Father for his disciples as he's rounding up his ministry. When he says, sanctify them, his disciples, by your truth, your word is truth. Who is the word? John 1, 1 makes it clear. The whole of John 1 actually makes it clear. He is the word. There's no dispute about that. We just saw in John 14, 6 that he said, I am life. Hmm? And you have seen earlier on that he is grace. And now he says, I am the way, I am the truth. And then you have seen in John 17 that the word is truth. And he said, I am the truth. The word is truth. Truth is Christ. Christ is truth. Truth is the word. And he said, I am the life. First John chapter 1 and verse 1. You see it there, what, how John refers to it. First John 1 and 1. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, we have heard, huh? we have seen with our eyes, we have looked upon, our hands have handled, watch this, concerning of who is the word? Who is life? Word of life, uncle. So these are the things that begin to help you to unravel and understand scripture correctly. 
I'll give another example. In John 4, he's having this conversation, famous conversation with the Samaritan woman. And he says that the time is coming and God is where, now is where those that worship the Father must worship him in spirit and in truth. In 2 Corinthians, Paul says, now the Lord himself is that spirit. Come on now. And where the spirit of the Lord is, there's liberty, right? 2 Corinthians 3, the Lord is that spirit. In fact, don't even go that far. In the same John 4, I think in 21 or 22, it says, God is spirit. Make sense? And the spirit of him that raised up Christ from the dead, Romans 8, dwells in you. He that raised up Christ from the dead can quicken your mortal body. So God is spirit. The Lord is that spirit. And he is truth. The time is coming now now is <laughs> when they that must worship the Father can only worship the Father in Christ. So you start to search for truth as an abstract, as a virtue, as a substance apart from Christ. And that's where error becomes inevitable. You start to search for spiritual substance. That's where new ageism becomes appealing. That's where metaphysical activity becomes appealing because you're trying to find something spiritual. You know there's more to you than the normal, but you don't realize that that spirit is Christ. So all he was telling them was, the time is coming where I am the only access to worship. So if you knew who was talking to you, you will ask him to give you this water. So when you begin to understand scripture in that light, it just pops open. Instantly makes beautiful meaning. So grace is Christ. Have we established that? Romans chapter 5, verse 15. But the free gift is not like the offense. For if by the one man's offense, many died. One man, Adam. This other man is called much more the grace of God and the gift by the grace of one man. Much more the grace of God and the gift of that grace of the one man, Jesus Christ, abounded to many. See verse 17. For if by one man's, the one man's offense, death reigned through the one, much more those who receive abundance of grace and of the gift of righteousness will reign in life through the one, Jesus Christ. If you receive the gift of his grace, if you receive the grace, yeah? I said if God, Jesus is grace, when he gives grace, he gives himself. When he gives himself, he gives grace. John chapter 1 and verse 11. John 1 11, he came to his own and his own did not receive him. Who is he talking about now? himself right see verse 12 but as many as received him to them he gave go back to romans 5 17 as many as received him so what did god give himself what did jesus give himself according to romans 5 17 but if by the one man's offense death reigned through the one how much more those who receive abundance of grace when you receive christ what do you receive when you receive the abundance of grace what do you receive he is grace. And this is how you understand scripture. It just opens up to you beautifully. And it just starts to tie in together. As many as received him. Who is him? Grace and truth. Way and life. 
spirit and truth, abundance of grace, righteousness, him, that's salvation. Salvation is not one thing. It is so many things collapsed into one because all those things are Christ and he's the fullness of the Godhead bodily. So when you receive Christ in salvation, what have you received? The fullness of the Godhead bodily. That's grace. So when God, when grace appeared to all men, what appeared to all men? Everything that the Godhead is capable of. He's the firstborn of all creation. He's the visibility of the invisible God. So when he appears, grace appeared. When grace appeared, he appeared. So he says, I am the way. The way to whom? To himself. In my father's house, there are many mansions. Who is the house of God? Christ. And you are now members of it. There's now room for you in him. Because if any man be in where? So the room God, Jesus made for you was made where? In himself. Because he's the house of God. So I am the way to who? I'm the door to where? So you see why we tell you Christ is not a message. He is the message. You cannot avoid him in the message of scripture. And then you, of course you cannot exhaust him. Just when you think you have figured out the whole Christ thing. He hits you left, right and center and slaps you up again. And lets you know, oh come on, there's still more to come into son. There's still more to come into. He is all that there is. Without him, John says, was nothing made that was made. So everything that was made derives its source from Christ. All things were made by him. Plus Satan and all the angelic host. How do we know that? The next line. Without him. So the possibility of the existence of Satan, Lucifer, and hell plus lake of fire are because of him. Without him, even that cannot be possible. To preclude Christ from the creation of that is to suggest that there is a scope of what exists that cannot be attributed to Christ. And that's an insult on divinity. That's why he could descend to the lower parts of the earth and do what he needed to do. And jailbreak everybody and go. His boss even there. That's why David says, where can I go from your presence? If I make my bed in the depth of hell, you are there. If you believe in hell, it is the presence of God in Christ that makes it hot. By him, all things were made. For by him, all things were created. They scream it in heaven every day. Thou art worthy. Thou art worthy, O Lord, to receive glory, honor, and power. For thou hast created all things, and for thy pleasure they are and were created. It's not a chorus from Mount Voice of the Cross. It's the reality of heaven. Every day, if you want to measure heaven by time, that's all they're screaming. Thou has created all things for thy pleasure they are and were created. And then Colossians said that all things were made through him, by him, and for him. All things were made. So when God was creating, who did God have in mind? Christ. And by having Christ in mind, who did he have in mind? Because I have now come into the glory of his son. I'm joint heirs 
with Christ. So everything that was created for Christ was created for me. Therefore, everything that is subject to Christ is subject to me. According to Hebrews 2, we do not yet see all things subject, but we know that is subject to us because we see Jesus. Is it coming together for somebody? All things were made for him and I am in him. I am joined heirs with him. So all that was made for him is now made for me. All things. All things. His life, his existence, his spirit, his truth, his grace. His... That's why 1 Corinthians 1 and 30 can say that, that statement. 1 Corinthians 1, 30. But of him, God, you are of God in Christ. Do you understand? So your boast to being of God is as in Christ. <laughs> are you here? But of God, you are in Christ Jesus. In other words, it is because you are in Christ Jesus that you are of God. To be born of God is to be born in Christ. Do you understand? To be born of God. He that is born of God overcomes the world. John says, right? This is the victory that overcomes the world, even our faith. So to be born of God means to be born in Christ. That's why Peter says, you are born not of corruptible seed, but of incorruptible seed as of the word of God. Who is the word of God? So of him, you are in Christ Jesus, who became for us wisdom from God, righteousness from God, sanctification from God, redemption from God, all the attributes of God in Christ. He became it from me, so I am now of it in him. And that's salvation. So there we are. Are we getting this? Hallelujah. His grace, he appeared to all men, he brought salvation as a gift he came and he brought it as was prophesied acts chapter 4 let's go to 12 nor is there salvation in any other for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved switch to the nlt there is salvation and no one else. God has given no other name under heaven by which we must be saved. Amplified. And there is salvation in no one else for there is no other name under heaven that has been given among people by which we must be saved for God has provided the world. Isn't that beautiful? God has provided the world no other alternative. No alternative. Is either Christ or Christ. Let's see it in the message. Salvation comes no other way. No other name has been or will be given to us by which we can be saved. Only this one. 
Thank you, Father. Acts 10, 43. To him all the prophets witness that through his name. Can you see the consistency of our salvation in Christ? Through his name, whoever believes in him will receive remission or forgiveness or the blotting away of sin. You see that in a bit. Aphemiae in the Greek. To remove sin. Do you know what forgiveness means? The word we'll get to that in a bit. I'm just going ahead of myself. I just want to give you a teaser. The word forgiveness, aphemiae in the Greek, means it also includes the distance that God puts between you and what separated you from him. So when David says, as far as the east is from the west, so have you removed my transgression? Forgiveness is not just counting you as pardoned, Forgiveness also establishes the distance between you and what separated you from God. Do you understand? So forgiveness is also in times of space and time. He has so removed you, so far away from what kept you away from him, that there is no record of it on the horizon. That's remission. It's different from what it was in the Old Testament. It was covering. Yeah? But in the new katalage, to remove to blot away. Acts 10 43. Let's do the whole verse again. To him all the prophets witnessed ah, that through his name, whoever believes will receive remission of sin. Somebody say through his name. No alternative for salvation. So grace is Christ, right? Revealed to all men. I want to deal with something here, but let me go back quickly to our key texts that we started with, right? I want to point something out. Titus 11, for the grace of God that brings salvation has what? Remember when I told you yesterday to be mindful of that word? Appeared to all men. Go back to um, Titus 3 and verse 4. But when the kindness and the love of God our Savior towards man appeared, right? 2 Timothy chapter 1 and verse 9. But who has saved us and called us with a holy calling, not according to our works, but according to his own purpose and grace, which was given to us in Christ Jesus before time began, go on to verse 10, but has now been revealed by the appearing of our Savior, Soter, right? Jesus Christ, who has abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. So what does the gospel bring? Immortality, sir. What is immortality? If you cannot die or be lost, what does that make you? What? Yes. And what does it being immortal mean? Eternal. You are living forever. So what did the gospel bring? Immortality. Eternal life. It cannot be anything less. The gospel brought immortality and light. Verse 10. What has now been revealed by the appearing. Let's look at that word. Appearing. When did he appear? Isaiah 9, 6. To us, a child is born. Unto us, a son is given. And the government shall be upon his shoulder. And his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor. Priest of Peace and Blessing Father, Mighty God. Kai, 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 Jesus. Father. You know how we have been preaching the Bible for years. And never seen Jesus where Jesus was openly showed to be who he is. So you come and start arguing with who tells you that Jesus is not God. He's a second substance to God. He's the first thing that God created. And then God now used Jesus to create other things. 
But Isaiah 9, 6, which is, unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government will be upon the shoulder of this child that will be born, and this son will be given. And this child that will be born, and this son that will be given, his name, his identity, his authority will be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father. That's, that's enough for me. A child is about to be born. That child is being born because a son has been given. Do you understand what I'm saying? There's a, there's a stark difference between the birth of a child and the giving of a son. God gave his son, the son that he gave needed the vehicular expression of a child that you had to be born. It was because the son was given that the child was born. Do you understand? Are you sure? Because God gave his son. For God so loved the world that he gave. That giving was not in the birth of Jesus. God gave his son before Jesus was born. Does that make sense? Just like you were known before you were formed. And then you were made and then you were formed. And then the you that was made was breathed into the you that was formed. God made man then breathed man into the man he formed. Formed you from the dust. That's just a, a, a suit, a container. Then he breathed into you and then you became the soul that he made in his image. It's not your body that is in God's image. Or else then God is very confused. He has six billion different images. And every day a child is being born, God's image is just <laughs> multiplying. So God's image is not that he has two eyes or two noses, two nostrils, two ears, a big nose. What a mighty nose. He has, you know, or God has a robust body or God has muscles or sinews. Yeah. <laughs> no, that's not what it means to be in God's image. At all. To be in God's image is to have his attributes. And his attributes, invisible attributes which are not seen, are now clearly seen. In who? So who is the image of God? Not a physical body. So God consulted Christ in forming your spirit, your soul, your nephes. And then now started doing different, different containers to put the same image in. That's why you cannot know any man according to the container. It can be small, it can be scurfy, it can be big, it, can, it doesn't have any bearing on the image of God that the man is in Christ. Are you getting this? This is how I like to teach. I don't like to rush. Teaching takes time. Discipleship takes time. So, unto us a child is born. Because that son was given, the child was born. Because the son was given. Do you understand that now? Can we move on? So when was his appearance? At his birth? Yes? Wrong. Before time began? Wrong. The word appearance is the word epiphomio in the Greek, which, from which you get the word epiphany, which means for something to be made Visible for something to come alive, for something to, 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 to come to light. First John 3 5. The Greek word is epiphino from epiphany, epiphino. E P I P H A I N O. 
epiphino or phaneros. That's the root word. Have you got it? Phaneros, P-H-A, neros. And it means to show forth, to appear, to achieve the fitting purpose. The word from which the word appear in the New Testament was translated, epiphino, to show forth, to appear, to achieve the fitting purpose, to manifest. Now, by this definition of that word, it therefore means that until what you came to do is done, you have not appeared. To show forth, to manifest, to appear, to achieve the fitting purpose, epiphino. Excuse me, what did the burning of Jesus achieve? Oh, ye Merry Christmases. Was the birth of Christ an achievement of purpose? Why are you afraid to answer? It, it, you don't want to blaspheme. <laughs> Let me not be judged for this on the last day. I ask again, did the birth of Christ achieve purpose? To show forth, to manifest, to appear, to achieve the fitting purpose. Was that purpose of Christ's coming achieved at his birth? So can his birth be said to be his appearance? First John 3, 5. To come together now for you. And you know that he was manifested, that's the word epiphino or poneros, to do what? He was manifested to do what? Did he take away your sin when he was born? Can his birth therefore be his appearance? Hebrews chapter 9 verse 26. He would then have had to suffer often since the foundation of the world. But now, once at the end of of the ages, and I wish I had time to break that line down for you. He has what? Appeared to do what? By the So what was his appearing? The sacrifice of himself. So please, where did he appear? That's when the Savior appeared. Jesus was born. He lived for 30 something odd years. But it was until the cross that he appeared. Run the verse again. He then would have had to suffer often since the foundation of the world. But now, Holy Spirit, I'm trying to focus on what I'm focusing on. Because you see, the appearance of Jesus on the cross ended the ages. And began an age, the age of sons. He, he appeared at the end of the ages, the end of eons, the end of dispensations. The appearance of Jesus ended and changed everything. He has appeared, and his job description is clear. He has appeared to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. Where did that happen? So his manifestation was the taking away of my sin. That's the manifestation of Christ. Do you understand? 
the appearance of Christ is the removal of my sin. The appearance of Christ is the redemption of man, not appearance to live and grow up and die. Do you understand? He was born to die. But in order to die, you have to first have life. So, inevitably, after born, begin. Do you understand? But it wasn't about the burning. But the beginning is that this sacrifice has to be a living sacrifice. The sacrifice must start from life to death. Does that make sense? So in his living, he earned our righteousness. Banked it. In his dying, he earned our justification. Exchanged it. He lived a, a righteous life. He was living a righteous life for all his earthly life to collect righteous living for you. As the one man lived a stupid life and fell, this other one, Adam, now came and lived a righteous life in a crazy world. Telling God, now there is a man that can live in this crazy world where the other Adam failed. And there's a man that can live in the same world and be righteous from when he was born till when he died. So his life was living out and banking righteousness for everyone that will now be born of this prototype. But that righteousness could not be imputed to you because your sin had not been taken away. His dying as the sacrifice now takes away your sin declares you guiltless and then transfers the righteousness he earned into you. Do you understand? His life did not pay for your sins. Did you get what I just said? No, no, no. His life did not pay for your sins. It is his death. For where there is no shedding of blood cannot be, there can be no remission of sin. So it wasn't his life that paid the price. It was his death. So that's what we are called to remember. His death. That's the focal point of the gospel. The gospel never placed any emphasis on his birth. Not one. The apostles never talked about his birth. The apostles never broke bread about his birth. They never threw a party about his birth. They never wrote and preached gospels around his birth. They didn't commemorate or mark his birth. Because the game changer is death. He took the cup on the night before he was betrayed and he said, this is the cup of the new testament in my blood, not in my placenta. Not in the first man, man that I made as a baby. So the New Testament does not start with the birth of Jesus. Don't let Matthew chapter 1 verse 1 twist your head. Matthew 1 1 is Old Testament. Mark 1 1 is Old Testament. Luke 1 1 is Old Testament. John 1 1 is Old Testament. The Testament begins at his death. Testament means will. A will is written. No, Hebrews says that if a, a will, a testament, is written, the will cannot kick in until the testator is dead. 
It's the death of someone that brings into effect a will. Does that make sense? But where there is no death of the testator, the will, while it is written, even if you know what should come to you, cannot come to you. So what starts the testament? Death. So where did the New Testament start? You see why it is his appearance? It's the cup of the New Testament in my blood. As often as you drink this, do it in remembrance of me. And Paul says in doing this, 1 Corinthians 11, you remember the Lord's death till he comes. His death. His death. And that death, I don't need Easter to remember it. I don't, because Easter is taking me back to festivals. Types and shadows. Even Passover, by the correct Israelite date, is still taking me back to a festival and to a ritual. So Paul didn't say, as often as the Passover feast comes, do this in remembrance of me. He said, as often as you do this, it means any time and every time you are eating, you are remembering his body was broken for me. Do you understand? So at the end of this session, when the food starts to flow, Charlie, is holy communion you are doing. Did you hear what I said? When the food starts to flow, the, the zobo, the rice, the coleslaw, all of it is remembering his body that was broken for you. Just do it in remembrance of that. And you have holy communed. You have had the Lord's Supper. It doesn't have to be at night. <laughs> because it's supper. No. As often that's why it says, do we read our Bibles in Acts chapter 2 and up to chapter 4? It talks about how daily in the temple and in one another's houses, they went about breaking bread. Hey, hey, hey. They were eating on a daily. Why? Because they were remembering him on a daily. Do you understand? And I said to you on Tuesday that if your physical eating is more real. Remember I told you that your physical eating is a rem it's, it's just a type. Your physical eating is not about your physical eating. Your physical eating is about bringing you into remembrance of his body broken for you. But for you to understand it, we now, God, listen, God could have manufactured you, sir, without the need to eat food to survive. What's wrong with you? God is that omnipotent, omniscient, to manufacture you like a robot, self-sustaining. You don't need to wee, you don't need to poo, you don't need to eat, you don't need to drink, you are just sustained by eternal energy. But if he had manufactured you like that, you would have had a problem understanding that you need to eat the word of life to survive. So since you, 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 you have an issue grasping, it, it says that of the guys in Romans that since in their wisdom, even their wisdom, they could not understand or grasp God. We now manufacture you with the ability to eat so that by what you are doing naturally, it can show you who you are supernaturally. So every natural occurrence is a foreshadowing, is a symbolism, is a remembrance of your spiritual reality.
If you can eat spiritual physical food, you can eat spiritual food. If nobody needs to advise you to go to the toilet, you can just go to the toilet, sit down. You don't need to fast and pray. And you just put away all the poo and all the... The same way when you are gossiping and malicing and going through all that nonsense, Paul tells you, put it away. He doesn't say fast it away. He doesn't call malice a spirit. Just put it away. Put it away from you. Is this helping anybody? So his appearance was the taken away of my sin. Ah, okay. Good. Did you get that? Let me show you one more. Philippians 2, verse 5 to 11. I told you it's a believer's teaching meeting, right? Wow. Philippians 2, 5 to 11. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. Go on. Who being in the form of God, did not consider it robbery to be equal with God. In other words, he, it was not an issue for Jesus to be God because he is God. Make sense? Did not consider it robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, taking the form of a bond servant and coming in the likeness of men. And being found in fashion and appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death. Even, and stay here, to the death on the cross. I told you his manifestation, his appearance was the taking away of my sin on the cross. Hmm? And it's, it's after that manifestation that he was exalted. Verse 9. To come together now. Therefore, when you see therefore in your Bible, pause and establish what therefore is there for. Does that make sense? And what is this therefore now? The Christ who considered it not robbery to be equal with God, found in appearance and man took on the form of a man, you know, and humbled himself to death on the cross. To do what? To take away my sin as a sacrifice. That was his appearance. That was his manifestation, right? Because of that, so have I established a principle for somebody now? Yeah. Whenever you see therefore, it's linked to something that has just been explained. The preceding text, okay? Therefore, God has also highly exalted Jesus and given him the name, which is above every name, that are the name of Jesus. So when was he exalted? Jesus the man, son of man. Verse 9 in the message. Because of that obedience, God lifted him high and honored him beyond anything or anyone, anyone or anything ever. Go on to verse 10. So that all created beings in heaven and on earth, even those long ago dead and buried, will bow and worship before this Jesus Christ. So he appeared, manifested, paid the price for my sins and got exaltation. In other words, the glory and the name and the authority that we worship Jesus with now is because he paid for our sins. God gave him a name. In other words, God energized the name Jesus with authority. Exousia. With power. Dunamin. Such that now, at the mention, at the deploying 
of the name of the person that has died for the whole world. In other words, this guy died for the whole world. The whole world must worship him. Does that make sense? So at the mention of the name, it's not just at the shouting, Jesus! Mm -mm. You were in the car, you shouted Jesus, the car still hit the car in front of it. Because you'd have thought, shout Jesus, like Matrix, you know? It's not mentioned as in verbalization. It's in recognition, recognition, epignosis, recognition of the authority in the name. Do you understand what I'm saying? The authority in the name. The power in the name. He got that authority as a consequence of his obedience on the cross. That's where he manifested. That's where he appeared. So Jesus, the grace of God, appeared and brought us salvation. Salvation is an all-inclusive package. It has always been an all-inclusive package package i want to run through some of the key elements i can't go through all of them but i need to establish the context of salvation as we begin to look at the arguments is that okay so i can't run i can't promise you that i'll go through an exhaustive list but i want to pick key elements what are some of the key elements of our salvation the key elements of what the work of christ the finished work of christ on the cross did for us what are some of them Justification, redemption, sanctification, reconciliation, preservation, deliverance, security, prosperity, safety, healing, preservation, glorification. These are key A grade. Do you understand? Key elements of your salvation process. Key elements. These are not even benefits. These are key elements of your salvation. Before the likes of prosperity and healing and, you know, all of those. In fact, we've, you learned in this house that healing happened before you were even justified. Yes. Healing happened before the cross. By his stripes, we are healed. Not by his death. Healing happened before the cross. He was bruised for infirmities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him. And by his stripes, we are healed. Where did his stripes happen? There's no one record of him being flogged on the cross. Not one. So we're healed before we even got forgiven. That's why he didn't need, oh, you're going to love this. That's why he didn't need any of those sick people to repent first before healing them. Even the Gentile woman that Jesus called a dog. Jesus called a woman, effectively, he called the woman a dog. See faith. The woman said, I agree. No problem. I'm a dog. Give me what is due for dogs. What is due for dogs is good enough for me. You now, you are a son. You're not a dog. You are a son that Jesus cannot cause. Because if you break a leg in the spirit, it's Jesus' leg that broke. If you are deformed, Jesus is deformed. We are joint heirs. You are now a son. And you are, you, even the crumbs of dogs you cannot show in your life. No, no, we're not, we're not, we're not on crumbs. We're on bread. Crumbs healed her child. 
And Jesus' scripture says healing is the bread of the children. Tell your neighbor, I'm not on crumbs. I'm on bread. I'm on the bread. I'm on the bread. You know what I mean? I'm, on, <laughs> I'm all over the bread. You know what I mean? <laughs> it's all about the bread, man. It's all about that bread. Freshly delivered every day. Every day. It only needed to be ordered once. Perpetually for the rest of eternity. One order perpetual delivery. Just wake up and you smell fresh bread. Fresh bread. Fresh, fresh bread. Fresh bread never runs out. Fresh bread. Fresh bread. Fresh bread. Day in, day out, fresh bread. You ate bread just now. Two minutes later, you feel like bread. The bread you're about to eat two minutes later is not the one you ate two minutes ago because that bread is now stale bread. Fresh bread. Fresh bread. Every time you eat, fresh bread. Went on crumbs, brother. It's all about that bread. All about that bread. It's all encompassing. So let's look at some of those things. Some of them, just some of them. To open up and you will, oh my God, you will love this. You will love this. Let's focus on just a few of those elements. What were some of them? Somebody mentioned redemption. Two of them are together. Redemption and forgiveness of sins. Okay, so let's look at a couple of scriptures. First, uh, let's look at Psalm 113 verse 7. Psalm 130 and verse 7. O Israel... Hope in the Lord, for with the Lord there is mercy. This is David. And with him is abundant redemption. David. No cross. No Jesus. No general Holy Spirit. Only private deliveries for VIPs. That's what it was, new. The special deliveries for VIPs in the Old Testament. And they arrive with a time bomb ticking. It's self-destruct. After he finishes all this, what he wants to do, <laughs> he removes his spirit and puts it back in the storehouse, waiting for Pentecost. That's why David began to cry. No, no, no. How can I have a small Holy Spirit? And now you want to take him from me. Take not your Holy Spirit from me. Because he was not resident then. Do you understand? But David put one leg inside the future and re refused to remove it. Do you understand? David caught a glimpse of what was to come and he said, Kai, man, is this what these people are going to be enjoying? No, please, we die here. <laughs> Take not this Holy Spirit from me. Because he was a VIP delivery at the time. And David said with him is abundant redemption. Ephesians 1.7 and verse 12. Ephesians 1.7. In him we have redemption through his blood. The forgiveness. It doesn't say we have redemption and the forgiveness of sins. In him we have Redemption through his blood, which is to say the forgiveness of sin. 
according to, see that, according to the riches of his grace. Colossians 1, 14, yes. In whom we have redemption through his blood. He repeats it again. The forgiveness of sins. So it's not redemption of, uh, of redemption through his blood and the forgiveness of sins. It is redemption through his blood, which is the forgiveness of sins. Now let's look at the word redemption in the New Testament Greek. The word redemption in the New Testament Greek is the word apolutrosis. Apolutrosis, the way it is pronounced. It is spelled phonetically like that. Apolutrosis is the word for redemption. Apolutrosis, you ready for what it means? It means to release, or it is a release, effected by the payment of a ransom. Hmm? You were kidnapped. Then after a while, you heard from the kidnappers and they said, they demand a ransom of 20 million. You know, negotiate, 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 negotiate. They realize you're very broke, you don't have money. You give them 5,000 naira recharge card. They now released the victim. What just happened then was redemption. <clears throat> Do you understand what I just said? Release, a release effected by the payment of a ransom. We hold you. Somebody pays something of commensurate value for you and then we let you go. Does that make sense? Apolotrosis means release effected by the payment of a ransom. Are we together? It also means deliverance. Apolotrosis means deliverance. As we continue, you will see the clear connection between the removal of sin and the perfection of deliverance. They're not, they're not two separate events. They're not two separate events. A man is oppressed because the old nature is present. The moment you remove the old nature, he can no longer be oppressed, he's delivered. That's why deliverance is not administered. Deliverance is preached. We'll get there in a bit. Apollotrosis means deliverance. It also means purchasing back what was previously forfeited. Purchasing back what was previously forfeited also means purchasing back or paying for the debt of sin. D-E-B-T. The B is silent, right? It's not debt. <laughs> you see, how about if somebody dies? That is not debt. It is death. So to pay the debt of sin is apolotrosis. Redemption. Does that make sense? Purchasing back what was previously forfeited from the debt of sin. As in 1 Corinthians 1.30, he became for us redemption, right? Apollotrosis, and this is what I said earlier, the forgiveness of sin, is the distance that is set between the rescued person and what previously enslaved them. You were kidnapped. Hmm? We now looked for you. You came and paid the ransom. Paid for your redemption. Are you with me? We paid five million for your redemption. Hmm? Purchased you back from the bad guys. And now kept you where you were initially 
kidnapped. You are not redeemed. Here's what redemption is. You are brought back from the captors. Then you are taken to Canada. Are you hearing me? Or to Iceland. You are taken to Australia. Where these bad boys can never, ever, 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 ever conceptualize the remotest possibility of where you are, how much more, how to get there and effect another kidnap of you. That is redemption. So redemption sets a non-transversible distance between where you were afflicted and where you have been now positioned. So when he saved you and translated you from the kingdom of darkness, he went and sat you far above up there. Far above, far above, up there, heavenly. So these guys that kidnapped you before, these guys, oh, they can't reach you no more. They can't reach you. He didn't rescue you. Armed robbers came to your house. You ran away. Police now came, chased the robbers away, and now brought you back to your house. You are still afraid. It's the same house, sir, that the armed robbers came to. So you are still sleeping with one eye open. You're having epiphanies of what happened. You're still around the area where you were afflicted. That's not what Christ did. That's not what redemption is. That's not what apolotrosis is. He removed you from where you were afflicted, where you were victimized, and totally changed your location, taking the greatest care to ensure that you are as far as possible from where you were afflicted. When you understand these realities, then the joy of salvation comes. You know some things are abstract when you read, he has sat us with him in heavenly places. Sometimes your mind struggles to understand what that means. Because your bum doesn't feel like it is sat far above. With all that's happening to you in life, it doesn't look or sound or come across as though you are far above. It is realities like this that open your eyes to begin to see. That I have been saved from sin and Satan. I have, for the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has set me free from the law of sin and death. That set me free from the law of sin and death doesn't stop with setting me free from the law of sin and death. It's, it ends with taking me as far away from the reach of sin and death as is godly possible. Not humanly. So God saved you from sin and death and then crushed sin and death. But at the same time, removed you away from even the after effects, the, the, the spillover, the nuclear spillover of sin and death that is still in the air. Because Satan is operating from a place of defeat. Every victory Satan got, he got it from a place of defeat. His victories are not real. And you, when you lose, you lose from a place of victory. So even in your losing, you have victory. You didn't lose victory because you lost. And even when Satan won, he lost an idiot. But even when you lose, it is still by faith. Are you hearing what I'm saying? Even when you fail, it's still by faith. And even when Satan prospers, he's a liar and the father of all lies. His prosperity is a lie. It's not real. His affliction is a lie. The Bible doesn't call him a lion. It just says he's like a lion. He's making noise, roaring. Like it's not a lion. How can he be a lion and Jesus is a lion? 
But because he transforms himself to an angel of light, he can look like a lion. So Apollotros' redemption is the distance that is set between the rescued party and where they were rescued from. Do you get it? Isn't that beautiful? He didn't redeem me and left me where he redeemed me. You picked a child from the street. You took the child to your house, cleaned the child, gave the child a bath, fed the child. The child slept, had a good night's sleep that night. And in the morning, you took the child back and went and dropped the child when you met the child on the street. The child is not redeemed. But you changed the child's environment into such a one that the child forgets that they ever were homeless. What are you talking about? I don't know what you're talking about. Street kid, me? How dare you? How dare you insult me? Street? What street? When? How? And for God's sake, why? Will someone of my standing, someone of my caliber, Someone of my disposition and comportment. Why would I even be remotely connected to the garbage and the demeaning reality of a street? Do you not know who I am? Do you not know who I am? Oh, I am son of God. You may may have a street narrative of me. But I'm sorry if I can't help you by corroborating your narrative. Because I have no clue what you're talking about. I'm not trying to say you don't know what, you know what you're saying, but it's possible you saw a likelihood of me on the street, and I can't determine your reality, but duh, I know mine. Can you see all the goats? I know mine. There's cold stone here. There's, there's, there's warm stone here. There's, does this look like the benefits of a street child? Your narrative is so changed that there's no inkling of where you were when they picked you. God takes no delight in reminding you of where he rescued you from. Takes no delight in reminding you of where he took you from. It's not on the books. By faith, Alexander. That's all heaven knows. And then you sleep up, make one small mistake. Then the foster child parent comes and says, my friend, don't forget. I took you from the street. I cleaned you up. God is not like your Nigerian movie. Don't define God by Nollywood. Don't define him by Nollywood. I made you. I cannot make you. God is not a Nigerian. I made you. I cannot make you. I, I sat you here. I can unseat you. If you, don't, if you forget where you came from, I will make sure you go back there. No, not God. Not God at all. Not the God we serve. This God delights in making you come into eternal amnesia about where he rescued you from. Did you hear what I said? Eternal amnesia. He he, he ensures that he didn't only redeem you, he deletes the record of where he redeemed you from and sets you as far away from it as possible. That's redemption. Imagine coming to Ruth in Boaz's house 
and telling Ruth, give me a, a, a measure of barley. And Ruth says, why should I give you a measure of barley? And you're like, eh? Was it not you that I knew when we were in the land of Moab? When your husband, Malon or Kilon, whichever one was married to you, I don't even remember again because it was you and Oprah. Whether Malon married you, Kilon married you, Kilon married you, Malon married you. But when you know you that your husband died in our very presence, you came back with nothing. With Naomi crying. Now, you are now queen of the manor. You are now the queen. Now, we cannot even tell you anything. Do you think Ruth will understand what they were saying? Hey, the Ruth that used to follow the servants of Boaz, picking what was only available to dogs, crumbs, picking. She was a welfare case. Boaz actually told his servants, Boaz's servants were better than Ruth. And he tells them, please, when people are harvesting, deliberately drop some small barley so she can take some. Then one day, the servants wake up and they have a new boss. The same servants that were entrusted with the survival of Ruth. Their survival now depends on Ruth. That's redemption. Now it's Ruth that is determining how much remnants the servants can have. Apollotrosis. Redemption. It didn't just redeem you. He changed your status. Redemption is a change of status. Totally. Totally. From a slave girl straight up to the top of it. You don't, you don't come and you can't recognize Ruth. That's what glory does. It changes your physical outlook. You can't. That's what salvation purchased for you. Redemption. Is anybody hearing? I am redeemed. I have no record of where I was redeemed from. Because it does not exist. That's redemption. You must understand the quality of what you got as that gift. You must understand it. Or else you can't appreciate it. You can't. That's redemption. The distance set. Non-transversible distance. Between where you were rescued from and where you are now. Such that no record. You can't remember. Even if we try to remind you. You can't remember. It's not even a distant memory. It's not even a distant memory. It's not present. <laughs> As far as the east is from the west. Yes. The, the, the cross, Jesus had not yet died. And they were already seeing a sea of forgetfulness. They were already seeing a sea of forgetfulness. Where God throws away the sin of man that he took away. Redemption. Are you getting this? Let's look at forgiveness. <laughs> forgiveness. In whom you have... Redemption, right? Through his blood. The forgiveness of sins. The New Testament Greek word for forgiveness is aphasis. A-P-H-E-S-I-S. Aphasis. From the root word aphiemi. A-P-H-I-E-M-I. 
And you'll like what this means. Forgiveness, aphesis, means to dismiss wrongdoing. So when your sins are forgiven, guess what God did? He dismissed them. Why would God just dismiss me? Instead of punish me, the devil will ask, as the accuser of the brethren. Because of justification. We'll come to that in a bit. But forgiveness means he's dismissed you. You are redeemed, so your sins are dismissed. Does that make sense? I, 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 you, a price was on your head. A debt was on your head. The debt has been paid, so why hold you? Do you understand now? Your sins are dismissed. All your sin is dismissed. So God is not dealing with you according to your sin. That's the gospel. It's not. Call it whatever you want to call it. Call it heresy. Call it damnable. Call it antichrist. Call it, that is the gospel. God is not dealing with his sons according to sin. Because sin has been what? Dismissed. So sin is not a factor before God in dealing with us. He has no record of sin. This, he appeared, remember, to do away with sin. Does that make sense? That's forgiven. Dismissal of sin. It also means sending away. Psalm 103 verse 12. Sending away, removing your sin. Psalm 103 verse 12. As far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. And that is a simile. It doesn't mean literally east from west. It was a figure of speech determine how the infiniteness is of how far God has removed your sin. Does that make sense? And scripture is full of such, such uh, figures of speech. Another one is, uh, how many times should we for, forgive our brother? And Jesus says, 70 times 7. You now go and open a book. You now draw 490 columns because 70 times 7 is 490. As soon as you wrong me, I forgive you, I write it. One, two. Everybody I'm dealing with in my life, I have a book for them with 490 columns. Because the Bible says, 70 times 7 shall you forgive. Could that be what Jesus meant? It's a figure of speech for infinitely. Forgive without restraint. Because if we have a forgiveness limit, then it will suggest that God too has a forgiveness limit. How can he give you a number and then his own is unconditional? No, you have to, be, you have to suspect that God. So it's just a figure of speech for infiniteness. Does that make sense? So like the third and fourth generation. Infiniteness. You now start counting. One generation is 40 years. You know how some of you carry Bible numbers very seriously. One generation is 40 years. Two generations is 80 years. 120 years. So that means God only carried this thing along for 160 years. That's what he was saying. That he will keep record for between 120 and 100. No. Figures of speech. As far as the east is from the west, so has he removed our transgression from us. First, Psalm 103 verse 12. Look at Isaiah 38 and 17. Indeed, it was for my own peace that I had 
great bitterness. But you have lovingly delivered my soul from the pit of corruption. For you have cast all my sins. Where? When he cast all your sins, had you showed up to even seen the first one? Had you shown up to seen the first sin? And he said he cast when? How many? Where? NLT. Yes, this anguish was good for me. For you have rescued me from death and forgiven all my sins. Let's see how the message puts this. It seems it was good for me to go through all those troubles. Throughout them all, you held tight to my lifeline. You never let me tumble over the edge into nothing. But my sins you let go of threw them over your shoulder. Good riddance. Sending away, casting away forgiveness. My sins have been casted away. <laughs> I don't know about yours. My sins. Good riddance. The Father has no record of my sins. Jesus, you took them all away. And I believe you when you say, I am his righteousness in you right now. That is the gospel. My sins have been took away. <laughs> Forgiveness also means to pardon. To pardon. You know, that, you know, you're familiar with that word, right? To pardon. Jeremiah 33 and verse 8. I will scrub them clean from the dirt they've done against me. Message. I'll forgive everything they've done wrong. I'll forgive all their rebellion. Just as I am prophesying. I'll scrub them clean from the dirt they've done against me. I'll forgive everything they've done wrong. I'll forgive how many? How many? There are provocative things I want to ask about you losing your salvation. About what you can do in sin to lose your salvation. And how, if possible, that you can successfully lose it. Because Peter was out in the courtyard. This guy said, what we have touched, handled, tasted. Peter walked with Jesus. Peter shook Jesus. My friend, what's wrong with you? How can you be saying people touched you? All of us. I, am I not touching you now? Peter told Jesus, Master, with all due respect, shut up. We're just beginning to enjoy your ministry now. You're talking about going to die. Da, 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 da. Master, may I rebuke you? Jesus said, don't buy a sword. Don't have a sword. He still removed sword from God knows where. And cut off the ear of the chief priest servant. Peter. But it's the same Peter that gets the revelation of you are the Christ. So if any disciples are new Jesus, it was Peter. Mount of Transfiguration, Matthew 17, no. Peter is, is the same Peter that says, Ah, see glory, Shekinah. Oh yeah, oh yeah, quick, quick. Let us build three tents. One for Jesus, one for the law, one for the prophets. We will just camp out here. Anyone is good for us. 
And that's the, that's, the, that's the mentality of many Christians today. Jesus, is he working? Let's go there. Law, is he working? Let's go there. Prophet, are they working? Let's go there. Don't worry about us. We don't need tents. We are nomads. Did you get what I just painted? Yes, Peter did not, he didn't even say, I will dwell inside Jesus' tent. He just saw glory. Stop! Just build three tents. We're here. We die here. We're not going down. If anybody knew Jesus, after the flesh and after the spirit, it was Peter. John was running to the tomb. Peter overtook him. But here's what happens. A small girl, not a general, not a lieutenant colonel, not a Boko Haram, a small servant girl said to him in the courtyard of the high priest's house, like one of those people that used to hang with Jesus. Oh. Small girl. Peter said, God forbid. I never ever met the man. I don't know him. Another person said, but hey, this is your accent. It's Galilean accent. Sounds like the accent Jesus. He said, I never met. I don't know him. Three times the cock crowd. Jesus went past. Peter's heart sank. But Jesus had promised Peter that I have prayed for you that your strength will not fail. It will fail, but it will not fail because you'll be strengthened. And when you're strengthened, strengthen your brethren. So here's what happened. God refused Peter's denial of Jesus because Jesus prayed for him. It's with your mouth you confess Christ, no? So it should, be, it should also follow that with your mouth you can unconfess Christ. Which Peter did. He unconfessed Christ. And God refused. Because the supplier of salvation does not accept refund or return. Salvation is given at owner's risk. The supplier of salvation does not accept refund or return. It is given at owner's risk. If he gave it as a gift, which he did, and you received it, you cannot unreceive it. Peter tried and he failed. He could not. Because ahead of Peter's denial, the son had interceded for him. Now what is he doing now for you, sir, at the right hand of the father? So how, do you, how can you allow religious devils to convince you that you can talk your way out of your salvation. Can you allow religious devils to hoodwink you? Otherwise, Peter's narrative is a lie now. Otherwise, Peter is lost and Jesus was a lie. But he showed up and showed up to Peter and the other apostles. Peter, we just know that Peter said his own. The other apostles, Peter said he denied Jesus but he at least hung around the courtyard. The other apostles ran. Everybody missed. After a while, the same Peter who denied Jesus, so you can know that Peter meant it. Peter said, he's dead, I go fishing. You remember? Peter said, I go fishing. Is this, this thing is over. I warned Jesus, I warned Jesus. Jesus, you see, Jesus, those Galileans, they don't used to hear what. Bartholomew, Zealot, Zebedee, James and John. I beg, were you people not here? When I kept warning him, don't be talking about dying. Don't be talking about dying. Don't be talking about dying. As a man thinks in his heart, so is he. They're talking dying. Talking. Did I not warn Jesus? Don't die. Don't die. Don't be talking about. Did I, I beg. Did I not warn Jesus? Hey, we heard you. 
If you will not be saying that me, I too do. I too, because my mouth is sharp. But me, I just say it as it is. And Peter, did he hear me? Did he listen to me? Did he still hear anybody? Did you not hear the story when he was 12 years old and he was in Jerusalem and he didn't tell his mother, he didn't tell his father? Did he used to hear anybody? The other time we said he should not go to Jerusalem. He should not go to Jerusalem. We were not there when I, when I told him. And he still got up. He said he's not going. He promised us he's not going home. After everybody now left, he now got up to go. What, what did we say? Oh, we, we too, let us follow him so that we could come and die with him. I beg, did I not say these things? Now, Jesus now has died. Have you seen the tomb? I passed by there. Have you seen the tomb? They sealed it. It can't come out. It's finished. So therefore, I'm returning to the only thing I'm a pro at. Fishing. And Jesus still cornered him and grilled the fish for him. In the place he left Jesus to go. Doing the thing he left Jesus to do. The resurrected Jesus showed up there and helped him to do it well. Because his salvation was not at stake. Isaiah 38. I will forgive them all their rebellion. I'll scrub them clean from the dirt they've done against me. I'll forgive everything they've done. Forgive all. And all was still future tense when he forgave it. All your sin plus what you are calling past now was in future when he forgave it. Anything other than this is the perversion of the gospel. Forgiveness at first also means to give away. To not keep any longer. So he's not keeping any record of your sin. Isaiah 43 and 25. Isaiah 43 and 25. I, even I, am he who does what? Blot out your transgressions for my own sake. My own sake. It has nothing to do with you. I'm just having a good time forgetting you sinned. I, I'm blotting out your transgressions for my name, my own, my own, my own sake, my own sake. And I will not remember your sins. NLT. I, yes, I alone, will blot out your sins for my own sake and will never think of them again. The message. But I, yes, I am the one who takes care of your sins. That's what I do. I don't keep a list of your sins. I, even I, alone, by myself. Peter blasphemed. Peter did what you might call apostasy. Turned against God. Denied Jesus Christ. Trampled him underfoot. And God said no. Mercy said, no, I'm not going to let you go. I'm not going to let you sleep away. You don't have to be afraid. Mercy said, no, sin won't have control. That's the gospel. Mercy said, no, me, me, I am not letting you go. Try and go and see. That's why I said you are saved by grace alone, 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 alone. You are saved by grace alone. It's what God chose to do. You're not saved by faith. This is your fickle faith. 
That's why he promised even when you're faithless, I'm faithful. He blots away. He keeps no record of wrong. I am forgiven, saved, and redeemed. So I will worship you forever. You see, I can sing that song every day. It's my reality every day. Lord, you bled and died that I might live. By your sacrifice, I've been reborn. I am forgiven, saved, and redeemed. So I will worship you forever. The Father has no record of my sins. They thought I was mad. Jesus, you took them all away. And I believe you when you say, I am his righteousness in you right now. Oh, 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 By your blood I qualify. Oh, 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 Jesus. As you see me, so I am. And you are not a man, you cannot lie. Jesus, the Son. Jesus, the Son of God. I will worship for you are reason. For you are reason as you said. I am forgiven. I am forgiven as you said. I qualify just as you said. I qualify just as you said. Lord, I believe. Lord, I believe you cannot lie. Yes, you. Jesus, I believe that you cannot. No, 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 you cannot. That is your reality. Or else we will have to start the arduous process of tearing away all these scriptures and apologizing for their error. I keep no record of wrong. That your pastor records your mistakes does not mean that God does. That your father records your mistakes does not mean that God does. That your mother will not keep quiet about your mistakes does not mean that God does. I blot away. That's forgiveness. So if your sins are hovering somewhere in the vicinity or hovering somewhere in the horizon, God did not forgive you. He just released you on parole. Parole means that once you break your parole conditions, you are going straight back to jail. Depending on your offense, there's an anklet that is put there monitoring your movements. You cannot go too far because the thing will start to beep. And it was the GPS who send a signal that, ha, you have gone beyond your parole. So, so religion has painted the picture that God only releases you on parole. And is now monitoring your good behavior and seeing how far you are going and how far you are not going. To determine whether you are going to end up in the hell that he delivered you from or you are going to stay out of hell forever. That's not redemption. That's not redemption. He entered the jail. 
where you were. Smashed it open. Took you out. And it didn't end there. Now he leads you in triumph. Always. And through you diffuses the fragrance of his knowledge in every place. So here's God saying through Jesus, have you seen this one? Just like Mordecai and the king. The Haman is going and saying, can you see the person God decides to honor? Can you see the person God decides to honor? Can you see the person God decides to honor? The only record I have about this person is good news. The only record I have about this person is great news. The only record I have about Mordecai is good news. The only record that exists about comfort is good news. This is what is done for the man that the Lord decides to honor. Through you diffuses the fragrance of his knowledge. Because your sins are dismissed. They are pardoned and not paroled. You are not an ex-convict. You are not an ex-sinner. That's what justification does. Justification now resets your record such that God sees you as though you never did anything wrong. That doesn't sound like temporal to me. Doesn't sound like parole to me. And boy, it sounds like good news to me. My sins are took away. My sins are removed. The father has no record. That is the fullness of soteria. That's the fullness. That's the joy of salvation. That's the assurance of salvation. Before we even start to talk about whether we can, we can lose it or not, let's understand what we have first. Let's understand what we have. Let's understand that we have it. And then we can answer the question of whether or not we can lose it. And by the time the fullness of what you have comes upon you, you have already answered the question. By the time the fullness of what you have in salvation hits you, then you can now be the one to determine whether or not it's temporal or eternal. Whether it's forever or, or, or it's a parole, I am forgiven. I am redeemed. There's a long, infinite, eternal distance between me and where he redeemed me from. This concludes this message. Thank you for listening, and we hope it has been a blessing to you. For inquiries and further information, please send us an email to info at or visit our social media platforms.